0: Good morning. Uh, this morning's passage comes from Isaiah 7, verses 1 through 17, and this is the NIV translation. When Ahaz, son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, was king of Judah, King Rezin of Aram and Pekah, son of Remaliah, king of Israel, marched up to fight against Jerusalem, but they could not overpower it. Now the house of David was told, Aram has aligned itself with Ephraim, so hearts, so the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken, as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, "'Go out, you and your son, Shir-Jasab, meet, to meet Ahaz at the end of the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to the launderer's field.' Say to him, be careful, keep calm, and do not be afraid. Do not lose heart because of these two smoldering stubs of firewood, because the fierce anger of Rezin and Aram and, the son of, and of the son of Rebmeliah Aram, Ephraim, and Remaliah's son have plotted your ruin, saying, Let us invade Judah. Let us tear it apart and divide it among ourselves and make the son of Tabiel king over it. Yet this is what the sovereign Lord says. It will not take place. It will not happen. For the head of Aram is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is only resin. Within 65 years, Ephraim... Will two be shattered? Will two be a shattered? Will two shattered be a people? The head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is only Remaliah's son. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. But Ahaz said, "I will not ask." I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David. It is not enough to try the patience. Is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore the Lord asked himself, Will you give me a sign? The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. He will be eating curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. For before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid waste. The Lord will bring on you and your people and on the house of your father a time like unlike any since Ephraim broke away from Judah. He will bring the king of Assyria. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thank you, Aaron. Pray with me. Gracious God, will you be faithful to your promises this morning? Would you give us eyes to see you in all your beauty, in all of your strength, in all of your love, in all of your grace, would you give us not just eyes to see, but hearts to receive and respond? Would you give us wisdom to know how to leave here loving you, serving you, moving forward into your kingdom for your glory and the good of our neighbors? We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to do something a little bit differently this morning. I'd like to read one more passage. This is Matthew's Gospel, Chapter 1, The Birth of Jesus. Now, the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, Which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. This too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So uh, a warm up question as we begin this morning. What's your favorite Christmas carol? Anybody have a favorite Christmas song, Christmas hymn. Silent Night is a classic, right? Silent Night for anyone. Joy to the world. I'm a big fan of Joy to the world, particularly the line, he comes to make his blessing known far as the curse is found. How about angels we have heard on high with the Gloria, right? Fun for some, challenging for others. Not my favorite. I need a little more breath for that to be my favorite. Some of you may like to go obscure, like Mac, of the Father's love begotten. Is that a favorite for anyone? Kids, what about the animals, the manger scene? Right? What's the one that has all the animals in it, kids? Away in a manger, right? Is that a favorite? How about this one, kids? Do you remember this one? Trust and obey, for there's no other way. Do you remember that one? To be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Okay, kids, you know, that's a good song, but it's not a Christmas carol, right? I think it should be. I think it should be. The Christmas carols tell us so much about what happened on that great morning when God decided to come and to bring his salvation in the person of Jesus. But they don't often tell us what to do with what happened. They don't often direct us of how to respond, and that little children's song, Trust and Obey, does just that. It tells us how we can receive and then respond to this Christmas good news. Trust and obey. We've been looking, as Anna reminded us, at the prophet Isaiah, and Anna gave us a great historical background, so I'm not going to go into it again, but Isaiah is painting these poetic portraits of what it will look like when God brings his fullness. And Jesus has begun it in his birth, in his life, in his death, in his resurrection, and he promises he's going to complete it. So Isaiah invites us to lift up our heads and see. And we've been doing that this Advent season. And this morning we come to perhaps the most well-known of Isaiah's visions The most iconic, right? It's the prophecy that the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. You know this one. If you've been to a Christmas Eve service before, you know this one. And you've reflected on it, and rightly so, about the content of it and what it means. That here, centuries ago, millennia ago, there was a prophet who foretold that Jesus would be not just the sign of God's saving presence with his people and for the world, but the actual saving presence of God's people for the world. It's that amazing connection of the New Testament to the Old Testament. It's one of these passages that we look to and see that the whole thing holds together in the person of Jesus. It's wonderful content to dig into, isn't it? And even the content of the way that Jesus would come, the miraculous virgin birth that he would be born without human conception. And we try to wrap our minds and our hearts around that. And so often we get caught up in the content and we miss the purpose of the sign. Why did God give this particular sign? Why did he give it to Ahaz? Why did he give it to Joseph And Mary, and why does he give it to us? So I'd like to explore that a little bit with you this morning. Why did God give this sign to them and to us? I think the song gets it right, to trust and obey. This sign is meant to give us eyes to see God's reality so that we can trust him in the midst of whatever circumstances we find and then obey him. And move forward with faithful obedience. The sign is for you and me. The sign is meant to cultivate trust. The sign is meant to call us to obedience. First, the sign is for you and me. It's for those who need eyes to see, not just the challenges of our lives, but God's faithful presence in the midst of those challenges. The sign is for those who, like Ahaz, had the shaky hearts? Did you see that in verse 2? Now the house of David was told, Aram has allied itself with Ephraim. And so the hearts of King Ahaz and his people were shaken as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. They didn't have the shakes, they had the shaky hearts. And you know what it's like to have the shaky hearts, right? Because you look at the circumstances of your life and like Ahaz, what you see is challenge and threat. And potential problems. And what you need to see is God's saving presence in the midst of those challenges and threats and problems. Ahaz had the shaky hearts because when he looked around, he didn't see Yahweh, he didn't see God and his faithfulness. What he saw was that the kings around him were threatening. At this time in world history, Assyria was the big bad guy, and they were big, and they were very, very bad. And so, to try and get around the challenge of Assyria, or maybe to meet it head on, Syria, and then the northern tribes of Israel, Ephraim, decided to create an alliance. Maybe if we band together, together we can stand against Assyria. And so they invite the southern tribes of Israel, Judah, King Ahaz, to join them in this alliance. This is all in the first couple verses. And so King Ahaz is looking around him, and what he sees on the one hand is Assyria, no good there. What he sees on the other hand are nations who are inviting him in to resist Assyria, no good there because those nations aren't big enough. All he sees are problems, challenges, and threats, and he has a shaky heart, and so does his people. I read the birth story of Jesus, and you know this one as well. You know that Mary and Joseph were young. You probably know that they were poor. And you might know that they were on their way to Jerusalem because Rome, who at this time was the big bad nation, was conducting a census. Do you know why empires conducted censuses? I don't know the plural of that word. Somebody tell it to me later. For two reasons. They wanted your money. And they wanted your sons in their army. So Joseph and Mary, when they look around, what do they see? They see their own poverty. They see their own youth. They see a nation that wants things from them and is giving nothing in return. And they see the challenge of a potential scandal of a baby out of wedlock. And you can relate, can't you? Sometimes when you look at your life... You have the shaky hearts because you don't necessarily see the challenge as an opportunity for God to make good on his promises. You just see the challenge as challenge. You just see the threat as threat. You just see the problem as a problem, and you're not quite sure how to solve it. Perhaps for you, uh, it was a new job in 2019. That was true for me. A big move across the country from California to Texas, perhaps for you, was a new school. Perhaps for you, it was three children, each with their own new school. Perhaps it's brand new friends for you. Perhaps it's the same school, but a new grade with a different teacher. Perhaps for you, it's a group of friends that you thought were friends that aren't friends anymore. Perhaps for you, It's graduate school that's a whole nother level of hard than undergrad. Perhaps for you, it's the end of undergrad and wondering what comes next in adulthood. Perhaps for you, it's the dream job that you thought was a dream job and isn't the dream job any longer. Perhaps for you, it's a marriage and a spouse that seems distant and you don't know how to close the distance. Perhaps for you, it's family that you wish stayed at a different distance, but you have to go and be close with them at Christmas time. I don't know what it is for you, but I'm willing to bet maybe it's just in the day-to-day. You wake up and you know there's going to be something today that I'm going to face. What do you see? Do you see the threat? Or do you see the opportunity to God, for God to show up and to make good on His promises to deliver You see, the sign is for all of us who can relate to Ahaz, all of us who have the shaky hearts. The sign is for us, and the sign is to cultivate trust. The sign is to give us eyes to see that God is present, and he will deliver. He's a God who makes promises. He's a God who keeps promises. He always has, and he always will. And for those of us who are followers of Jesus, we ought to know this, right? We ought to know better than to have the shaky hearts. Ahaz should have known better. And Isaiah the prophet tries to help him. He says, Ahaz, you see these kings and you see these empires. I'll tell you what I see. I see smoldering stubs, not firebrands. You see these powerful houses. Do you know what house you're from, Ahaz? You're from the house of David. The house that Yahweh himself, the God of the universe, came and made promises to. Promises that your kingdom will always be established. You're from the house of David, the house that is connected to Yahweh. The Yahweh that has said over and over and over again, I will fight your battles. I will fight your battles. I will fight your battles. And he did. And he will. But Ahaz doesn't see it. He should know better. He should see it. It reminds me of the story of Jesus with his disciples in the boat. Do you remember this one, kids? They're in the lake, they're in the boat, and the storm comes up. And do you remember what Jesus is doing? He's sleeping in the bottom of the boats, and the disciples are freaking out because the storm is big, and it's bad, and it's scary, and they have the shaky hearts. And so they come down to Jesus and say, Jesus, wake up. He says, why are you so afraid? Don't you know who's in the boat with you? We ought to know better. Those of us who are followers of Jesus, we ought to know because we have Jesus, the one who has come and is the fulfillment and the answer to every single promise that God has made. And he's present with us. And yet, like, like Ahaz, Sometimes we just don't see, or we're at least seeing the wrong picture. We need help seeing that God is present to deliver for a few reasons. Perhaps you can relate. One, maybe like Ahaz, you need a sign because you're too busy looking at your own resources that you can cobble up to meet the challenges of your life. Does that resonate with any of you? Do any of you wake up? in the morning, and the first thing you think about is, what do I need to do to get through this day yet again? I can certainly relate to that. Our family loves to watch the Charlie Brown Christmas pageant. Kathy loves to watch the Charlie Brown Christmas pageant. My wife, the rest of us tolerate it. But I was thinking about Uh, The second Charlie Brown Christmas, It, it came a number of years later, but it's bundled together. And maybe you've seen this one, when Charlie Brown wants to buy Peggy Jean a set of gloves for Christmas. Anyone seen this one? And so he goes to the store, and he brings out his pennies, and he sets them on the counter. He's like, is this enough? And the "want, want" voice lets him know that it's not enough not nearly enough. And so he goes on this quest to try and gather up as many resources as he possibly can so that he can buy Peggy Jean these gloves. He tries to sell Christmas wreaths. He sells all his baseball cards. Right? He does whatever he can. And that's how we are, aren't we? Cobbling together whatever resource we can possibly come up with. Maybe I'll hitch my wagon to Assyria. Maybe I'll try and hitch my wagon to Aram and Syria and Ephraim. Maybe I'll just do the best I can with what I've got. Can you relate to that? That your first impulse is not to see the resource that you have in Jesus. Your first impulse is to see how much you can get done first on your own. And then maybe you'll invite Jesus into the challenge. You have those 3 a.m. moments, right? And you wake up and you realize I've taken a new job in a big job in a place called Texas. Okay, this is me, maybe not you. And immediately your mind starts racing, right? Well, if I can network and meet some pastors in Austin, that's going to help. And, boy, if I can get a little more expertise on HR and strategic management, well, that's going to help. And let me dig back into my commentaries on the sermon series that I'm preaching, and that's going to help. And there's nothing wrong with any of those things. Those might all actually be good and right ways to move forward into the challenge ahead. But my point is, my first response is often not to say, God, you're here and you're with me and I trust you in this. So I'm going to close my eyes and go back to sleep at 3 a.m. in the morning. And then I'm going to wake up and I'm going to thank you for being with me. And then I'm going to go do my day. We look around and we try to find more knowledge. We try to find more funding. We try to find more expertise. We try to find more of whatever we can cobble together. So like Charlie Brown, we can empty our pockets and put it on the counter and say, is this enough? We need God's sign to show us that while we're spending all our time trying to cobble together our resources, the God of the universe, the God who created heaven and earth, the God who sustains all things at every moment by the power of his word, that God has cobbled together all his resources. And he's decided that he's going to bring his best to bear on our situation, on our problem, on our threat. He decided that he's going to bring himself. And the sign is meant to give us eyes to see. Why do we look so often to our own resources instead of looking first to Christ and what He has brought on our behalf. I think at the end of the day, the answer is unbelief. Maybe not theological unbelief. Maybe in your mind, you believe in Jesus. You believe that He is God's answers, not just to your problems, but to the problems of the world. But functionally, day to day, the way that you operate as you engage these challenges and threats what you demonstrate is that you don't believe. There's a quote on page four in your worship folder from Eugene Peterson, a very wise pastor. He talks about this. He said, Our work creates neither life nor righteousness. It's relentless, compulsive work habits which our society rewards and admires. They're seen by the psalmist as a sign of Weak faith and assertive pride, as if God could not be trusted to accomplish his will, as if we could rearrange the universe by our own efforts. Right? What he's saying is it's not so much that we think we have all the answers, although that may be true for you. It's more that we don't believe in that moment that God has the answer for us. We need a sign because of our own unbelief. Either we believe that God's not good enough or he's not strong enough. Like Ahaz, we either believe that God doesn't love us enough to deliver or he's not going to be able to deliver. I know this because if we believed that he was and is loving enough and good enough and powerful enough, then we would trust him. But we don't see it. And so God gives us a sign. He gives us a sign because he loves us. Because he does want us to see. He gives a sign to Ahaz. One of my favorite theologians right now is a guy named Tim Mackey. He's out in Portland. He's this skate punk kid who grew up to be a theologian and a lover of Jesus. And when he talks about the Old Testament, and particularly when he talks about the kings of Israel... He always asks, is this guy a good guy or a bad guy? Good guy or bad guy? Friends, Ahaz was decidedly a bad guy. He was one of the worst of the worst. Not only did he not worship the God of the scriptures, not only did he worship the gods of the other nations, he worshiped the gods of the other nations, and he was so fearful that even that wouldn't work that he sacrificed his own children to the gods of the nations to see if that might help. Ahaz was decidedly a bad guy. And yet, look what's happening in this passage, in this story. God loves Ahaz so much that he's giving him this sign to remind Ahaz of the truth that God is for him and that Ahaz has the opportunity to believe and obey and enter into the goodness that God has for him. Right, the sign itself that a virgin will give birth to a son who will be named Emmanuel, meaning God with us, that sign is evidence that God loves Ahaz. He's not just going to deliver. He wants Ahaz to know that he's going to deliver. Right, think about Mary and Joseph. They're not just tools in God's cosmic salvation project. They're not just actors in a play that God is orchestrating. They are his beloved. And so he doesn't just use them. He tells them what's happening so that they can trust and they can obey and they can see and they can know that he's with them. And he's for them in the midst of these strange, crazy, impossible to understand circumstances. They can know that they are loved. And if they know they are loved, then they can trust him. Friends, do you know that God loves you? As you hear these Christmas stories, as you read about the shepherds and the angels and the donkeys and the sheep, Can you insert yourself into the story? And as you read it, know that everything that God is showing in this sign, the child that is born, Jesus himself, not just to point to God's promises of deliverance, but to be God's promise of deliverance. Do you know that Jesus' birth is for you? Because if you do... If you can see that God loves you, then you can respond with belief and with obedience. You, too, can enter in and be part of the story. We don't sometimes believe that God loves us. Some of us don't believe that God is able to make good on his promises. right? Sure, you love us, God, but can you get it done? Can you get it done? And so we cobble together our pennies. Friends, the prophecy is miraculous. There's no doubt about it. And this is one of those fun ones to dig into because this prophecy was actually first for Ahaz. It was a promise to Ahaz that God is strong enough and powerful enough to deliver. Did you catch that? The prophet says after Reflecting upon all the strength that these kings and these nations were going to bring to bear, the prophet says, it will not take place. Implication, because God is stronger than those strong men. God is mightier than those war machines. Whatever they have, God has more. The New Testament reminds us that he who is in us is greater than the one who is in the world and coming against us. And so he gives the sign to Ahaz. There's going to be a child that's going to be born. And that child is going to be named Emmanuel. And by the time that child is two or three years old, maybe four years old, old enough to know good from bad, these nations that you're so scared of, they are going to be dust But Ahaz didn't believe. He didn't believe. And so Judah did fall. Not to Assyria, but to Babylon. And there's still waiting that had to happen for God to make good. And so while this prophecy was in part fulfilled for Ahaz, it still remained open-ended. right? And that's why Matthew can say, and we all know, that it's the birth of Jesus, God himself, that is the fulfillment of this prophecy. That in Jesus, God is not just defeating the Assyrias and the Romes, but God has come as a Savior who will save his people from their sins. That's a big word, a big term. Not just for our guilt against God, but against... But He has come to save us from everything that is thwarting God's good purposes. Everything in this world and in this life that leads to the Assyrians, whether they're out there or in here, Jesus has come and he has defeated it. And it's a sign that God is good and loving and powerful enough. And so the question for us this morning is, can we see it? Will we believe it so that we can then be obedient? Right. This isn't just let go and let God. This isn't God's going to take care of it, so I'm just going to sit here and do nothing for the rest of my life. No, this is trust and obey. Ahaz was invited to not believe in those armies and to trust in God. Joseph was invited to marry Mary, and he did. God has something for you to do. You may know what it is. I don't, but you know. And the question is, are you going to try and do it on your own? Or will you receive the sign? Will you see Jesus, trust in Him, and then get after whatever He has for you to do? Let me close with a story. Lee Strobel is an author and a journalist and At one point in his life, he was working for the Chicago Tribune, and he did a story about a particular impoverished housing complex, and he interviewed a particular family with a mother and two young daughters uh, who had very little, uh, very little food to eat, very few clothes to wear. It was winter in Chicago, and he talks about the girls having to go to school, and one would wear the jacket because they only had one halfway to school, and then they would switch, and the other would wear it so that they could get to school and both not freeze and so Lee Strobel wrote about this family in the Tribune and I don't this must have been a while ago. He he tells the story. He says I actually included their address in my story, which you could never do now, but he did then. And so he went to visit them a few days before Christmas and he knocked on the door and they opened the door and he looked in and there were presents everywhere. There was food everywhere. The kids were well clothed and there was abundance going on and he walked in and he said this is amazing. And then he looked around and he noticed that most of the stuff was being packed by this family back into bags. And he said, what are you doing? And they said, well, we're going to take it to all our neighbors. He's like, well, why would you do that? You have so little and now you have all these gifts. And they just said, well, we can't have all this abundance if our loved ones have so little. And so we have enough. We're just going to take this and we're going to give it away. And he was just dumbfounded. He said, well, isn't this amazing what you've received? And they said, yes, it's amazing what we've received. And it's reminded us of what we have, and we have Jesus, and so we can give this away. Now, he didn't tell the story this way, but as I've reflected upon it, to me it seems like this. Those women, that family, were able to see that those gifts for them was a sign. Not the answer, but a sign of the answer that they have in Jesus. And because they were able to see Jesus and believe, they were able to do the next right thing, whatever it was. And for them, it was to give it away. Friends, Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. He's the sign. He's the gift that God has given you, not just to save you, but to give you eyes to see that you are saved and to respond with joy. Let's pray that God would give us those eyes to see by his grace. And so we do pray that to you now. O God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thank you for the gift that Jesus is. And for those of us in this room who are having a hard time seeing him clearly, seeing you clearly, Jesus, your love and your power for us, would you give us Not just the sign, but even the eyes to see it. We long to respond with obedience and with faith. Help us to do it, we pray in your name. Amen.